first going to start out um, with just a little bit of a background of the psychological and spiritual landscape of young adults and how these impact our efforts at young adult ministry. So basically what's going on um, in the spiritual life and also the psychological life of young adults and um, how should this kind of shape the way that we do ministry. And then next, we're really going to kind of dive into the church's vision of young adult ministry. And um, I hope you're hungry for the great document, Christus Vivit, because that is what is on the menu tonight. Um, so Brian will kind of take us through that. And then um, finally, we also want to help you guys gain some keys as well as some best practices to building a healthy, holy, and sustainable young adult ministry. Um, and those adjectives are pretty um, intentional because we want to make sure that, right, we have healthy ministry, but also holy ministry, but definitely also sustainable ministry as well. So we will go ahead and um, dive in with our first part of the presentation. Um, we will start off with kind of the question, who are young adults? Because um, a lot of people will say the word young adults, but what do we mean when we actually say that? So um, we'll go off for the sake of um, ease tonight, the USCCB definition, which you can find on their website. So young adults are persons in their late teens, 20s, and 30s who represent diverse cultural, racial, ethnic, educational, vocational, social, political, and spiritual backgrounds. They are college students, workers, and professionals. They are persons in military service. They are single, married, divorced, or widowed. They are with or without children. And finally, they are new newcomers in search of a better life. So there's a lot going on in that little description, right? Like we come away from that quote saying, wow, young adults can be doing a lot of things in this period of young adults or young adulthood. They can be different things. They can have different relationships and different experiences um, come from different backgrounds and different identities. And unlike some of the other developmental stages of life, Young adulthood is sort of fluid. It has different definitions based on who you ask, like, for example, the USCCB definition that we just talked about. And um, it's also a stage that's reached as a developmental stage based on a variety of factors, right? So we don't have a clear, you know, rite of passage that you are at automatically a young adult. These not only include factors like the cognitive and psychological aspects of being human and developing, but also it includes the material, the cultural and societal factors, such as access to resources, independence, cultural beliefs and values regarding young adulthood, and many other things. So basically, we don't become young adults all the same way, and young adulthood doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. So... Where do we actually, like, where can we actually start if we all kind of in the world, in the church world, we think we might think about young adults differently? And how can we like actually come to an understanding of what the experience of a young adult is? Um, well, tonight we will kind of investigate that experience of young adults in two ways. So we'll start first with the psychological factors. So um, I'm going to draw a bit on um, psychological theory. So if anyone studied psychology in college um, or, you know, just has an interest, um, I hope you will play along with me tonight. But um, I am going to draw on this theory, but I also just want to remind us that as a theory, these serve as guiding principles, right, that help orient our approach. But there will always be exceptions. So um, just like with any good theory, right, like it paints a general picture, but there's always going to be like particular circumstances or experiences that that theory won't necessarily cover. So um, I will start off with um, a man named Eric Erickson. And Eric Erickson was a 
Danish, German, and American um, developmental psychologist, and he lived from 1902 to 1994. And um, he conceived of the different stages of psychological development of the human being through a series of crises that the person must solve in order to kind of like advance to the next stage in life. So um, I just have a very simple chart up here, uh, sort of about what those different ages and stages and the different crises that individuals have to solve according to um, Erickson's theory. So um, the crisis of young adulthood that Erickson conceived of was called um, intimacy versus isolation. So in other words, in young adulthood, young adults are sorting out their connections with others and trying to negotiate a sense of intimacy while at the same time trying to maintain their own sense of self. And we see this just for example in some of the focal points of young adulthood, such as dating, negotiating family dynamics as an emerging adult. Um, so things like, you know, when do, do I go home for the holidays or do I kind of like do my own thing with my partner or my spouse? Um, or, you know, when I go home, are my parents able to treat me like an adult or do they kind of, you know, revert to the kid who I was before I left for college or for the military or so on and so forth. Um, so just, those are some examples. And just to kind of put it a different way. Um, so in, this is from a chapter on young adulthood um, and human development in the faith um, and faith in the book, Human Development and Faith. And I think I have it here. This is a good just resource if you're interested in learning more about like faith and um, how that kind of intersects with psychology. Um, these two marriage and family therapists, one by the name of Bonnie Cushing and Monica McGoldrick, note that in kind of like therapeutic interventions with young adults, one of the main goals and kind of, you know, uh, aims that they have for this therapy is to help young adults recognize and honor their uniqueness while at the same time remaining connected to others. The work requires developing a taste for authenticity and a tolerance for difference. So just to put that a little differently, so in order to continue developing as a psychologically healthy young person, young adults must negotiate their connections to family, to friends, to important caregivers, institutions, and groups with their own sense of identity as they try to maintain intimacy with others rather than isolation, right? So at the stage of young adulthood, young adults are thrust into a wider world where not everyone has the same kind of connections as they do with friends, family, caregivers, institutions or groups, or even the same kinds of identities. So practically, this looks like, again, entering the workforce for the first time, enter entering military service, leaving for college, immigrating to a new country, dating, making friends, um, or forming groups according to different interests. It's also important to note that for most young adults, young adulthood is a time of transience and impermanence with changes and fluctuations. So I know that um, just in my experience as a young adult, I've moved a lot and there's just been a lot of different transitions um, that I've experienced, whether that's you know, going to a new job or um, moving on to a different uh, educational institution or moving states or cities, right? So um, this is kind of a common experience that young adults have, um, whether it's, you know, entering the workforce for the first time um, or just moving somewhere completely different. So, um, Further on, Cushing and McGoldrick, the two authors that I cited from um, Human Development and Faith, they summarize this negotiation of young adulthood as making room for others and also keeping room for others. So in other words, young adults must negotiate making room for new people, new ideas, new identities and new viewpoints that enter into their space of existence. But at the same time, 
They must also negotiate keeping room for those connections and identities already present in their life, such as their family of origin, their culture or ethnicity, and their own sense of identity. So when I use these words um, of the two authors, making room for others and keeping room for others, what does that look like practically? So practically that looks like young adults deciding what parts of their beliefs, their connections, values, relationships, and practices to maintain and honor, and also allowing others to change based on the appearance of new information, relationships, or people that enter their lives. So basically, in other words, just kind of trying to discern, right? What am I keeping and what am I leaving behind? How am I choosing to be affected by these new people or these new ideas that enter into my life? And secondly, another part of young adulthood is a growing self-awareness of an internal authority. Developmental psychologist uh, Sharon Parks, she explains this internal authority in this way, highlighting three particular developments in young adulthood uh, and the internal landscape of young adults. And um, we have this on the slide as well. So one, becoming critically aware of one's own composing of reality, two, self-consciously participating in ongoing dialogue towards truth, and three, cultivating a capacity to respond, act in ways that are satisfying and just. Um, so that's a lot of information. So um, just to put that very simply, young adults are becoming more self-reflective, right? So they have more capacity to actually think about what has happened to them in their life and what has occurred and kind of what happens in their daily life. And they kind of grow in the capacity to be critical about their own worldview and their experiences. And they're also discovering and testing their own authority to make decisions and also discover who to trust in their life with all of these different people kind of moving in, out, in and out of their sphere of existence. And um, I think it's kind of neat because um, if we look at this document, Chris is Vivid, which Brian will talk more about um, in, in his section of the presentation, um, Pope Francis even kind of makes reference to these two ideas, um, making and keeping room, and also a new self-awareness of internal authority that young adults have. Um, and I think this is just an interesting quote to kind of explore those ideas. So um, he is talking about um, he's expounding on the youth of the church, right? When he says this, so he says, let us ask the Lord to free the church from those who would make her grow old in case her in the past, hold her back or keep her at a standstill. But let us also ask him to free her from another temptation, that of thinking she is young because she accepts everything the world offers her thinking that she is renewed because she sets her message aside and acts like everybody else. No, the church is young when she is herself, when she receives ever anew the strength born of God's word, the Eucharist, and the daily presence of Christ and the power of his spirit in our lives. The church is young when she shows herself capable of constantly returning to her source. So we see these, these kind of like two ideas here about, you know, making room for others um, and kind of negotiating new people entering a sphere of existence. We see this kind of in the first part of the quote of um, the freeing the church from those who would make her grow old or encase her in the past, holding her back or keeping her at a standstill. So kind of this idea of the, um, you know, the church um, itself has to wrestle with this idea of um, who it is versus the people or, or the traditions that um, are coming in and out of its existence, right? And then also this idea of um, kind of being exposed to new ideas or new things in the world um, and to have the authority to make decisions and discern those influences. So I just think it's an interesting thing that um, even Pope Francis kind of like picks up on these themes in Christus Vivit. And um, just a final kind of quote that I think summarizes the um, psychological landscape of young adults very well. Um, the psychologist Sharon Parks, again, summarizes the psychological challenges of young adulthood this way. She says, in young adulthood, 
as we step beyond the home that has sheltered us and look into the night sky, we can begin in a more conscious way to ask the ancient questions. Who am I under these stars? Does my life have place and purpose? Are we, am I alone? And uh, we will head into now the spiritual landscape of young adults. Um, so in young adulthood, young adults, as you've seen, are negotiating, making room and keeping room for others and asking questions of identity, their meaning, and also their own relationships. So how does this, the psychological landscape of young adults, affect the spiritual landscape of young adults? So first, young adults are considering their vocation and their calling. As we've talked about in the intimacy versus isolation stage of Eric Erickson, young adults are asking who they are called to love and who they are called to be loved by and what they are called to give their life to. And of course, we see this manifest spiritually in serious vocational discernment, marriage, or even discernment of um, ministerial or volunteer roles in the church. Young adults are also reflecting on the beliefs that they have had from the childhood um, experiences that they've had and also their teenage years and comparing these with new beliefs and worldviews that they experience kind of with these new figures and relationships entering into their sphere of existence. Um, and I think as um, some, someone noted in their introduction, right, that this is the pivotal stage um, a lot of times for people um, continuing to be in the church and continuing to um, practice their faith that in young adulthood, um, a lot of young adults will make the choice to um, either leave the church and not practice a faith at all, or they'll, they're their faith will take a different form, um, either in another tradition or a different sort of practice or different sort of labeling. So um, spiritually, again, if they were raised Catholic, young adults might, to start, might, might start to think more critically about their beliefs and, like we said, leave the church for a time or altogether. But at the same time, it is a time for reversion and conversion for others. Um, we think about in young adulthood, all the different sort of milestones that young adults can experience, um, like the birth of a child or getting married or moving or taking up a new job, graduating from college. A lot of these things are moments in the church where we have um, either sacramental rituals or um, different beliefs and practices where there are opportunities for people to kind of regain an appreciation for their faith. So we think about um, the experience of having a child, right? This, if parents maybe aren't practicing their faith, if they decide to have their, baptize, their child baptized, it can really be a moment of reversion. Um, and especially if they're a young adult in that stage that, you know, that's more likely to have an impact on them. And then finally, young adults are continuing to work out their identity, especially in relation to others. So in line with Eric Erickson's model of development and the crisis of intimacy versus isolation, young adults experience themselves and conceive of their own identity using the markers of who they love, what they do for work, their study or trade, what they give their time and attention to, and what they have. So spiritually, this manifests through young adults considering how God and their community of faith see them. So why was it important that we just took that sort of um, big tour right through uh, one, just one of the very many uh, psychological theories of young adulthood, and then also just a very brief encounter with the spiritual landscape of young adults? Um, it's important to do this because this tells us where young adults are. And one of the most important things that we can do in any kind of ministry is to meet people where they are. And so if we have this information and we continue to learn more about this information, it can really help us meet the needs of the people who are coming into our parishes or um, our young adult groups or diocese as a whole. 
So overall, what can we learn from the psychological and spiritual landscape of young adults to shape our ministry to and with young adults? So first, we can kind of take this um, this broad um, tour through the psychology and spirituality of young adults um, to understand that young adults are asking and considering who they are called to love and um, who they are called to be loved by. They're asking and considering what their beliefs and values are and their commitment to those beliefs. And finally, they're asking and considering who they are before God and their faith community. All right. Um, so I'm going to talk a bit about the church's vision um, for young adults and for young adult ministry. Um, like Colleen said, it'll be a lot of it will be through the lens of Christus Vivit, right, which was Pope Francis's post-synodal apostolic exhortation um, after the 2018 Synod on Young People, the Faith and Vocational Discernment. It's a wonderful document. If you haven't read it yet, um, I would strongly suggest you read it if you're going to continue in or enter into, for some of you, ministry to and with young adults. So the USCCB says this about young adult uh, ministry, young adult ministry. Colleen shared with us what they say about young adults. This is what they say about young adult ministry. In ministry and catechesis with young adults, several important themes need to be emphasized. The formation of conscience, education for love, vocational discernment, Christian involvement in society, missionary responsibility in the world, the relationship between faith and reason, the existence and meaning of God, the problem of evil, the church, the objective moral order in relation to personal subjectivity, the relationship between man and woman, and the social doctrine of the church. And that sounds very... Um, very heady, very theological, um, but really you can break these things down into very applicable, very real, very tangible things. And so just to give you a couple ideas of what the conference is doing, what, what we are doing in the national young adult ministry world, um, the first is, is the national, young, uh, national advisory team for young adult ministry. Um, it's a team of, of uh, over 20 young adult ministers, many of whom are young adults themselves, who advocate for young adults and young adult ministers to the bishops directly. Um, the bishops also have a working group on youth and young adult ministry, specifically both bishops and consultants, who this is where they spend their time talking about um, how we best approach these things in the pastoral life of the church. The bishops are also working on a pastoral framework for youth and young adult ministry. It's the national response to Christus Viva and how that will be applied within our diocese, within our church here. One of the examples of how the, the team advocates um, for young adult ministers and young adult ministry um, is that recently we sent a letter um, to Bishop Burns of Dallas, who chairs the working group on youth and young adults. And we asked that in the pastoral framework that's being developed, that youth and young adult ministry actually be separated from one another um, in the suggestions. Uh, and that young adult ministry actually, when, when we talk about it, when we pair it with something else in the church, that it be paired with adult faith formation, because there's more similar to adult faith formation and young adult ministry than there is between youth and young adult ministry. That would really shake things up, um, but we believe that it's, it's a shakeup um, in the right direction, so to say. So the first place I want to take us is this idea of young adults as protagonists, and, and Pope Francis is very open about this in Christus Viva. He says, the synod recognized that the members of the church do not always take the approach of Jesus. Rather than listening to young people attentively, all too often there is a tendency to provide prepackaged answers and ready-made solutions without allowing their real questions to emerge and facing the challenges they pose. And so in this, it forces us to realize and to recognize two things. The first is that we have to be ready to encounter young people, like Colleen said, and meet them where they're at. And so when they come with questions, which they surely will, I have questions, Tom, Mark, Colleen, any young adult on this call, any young adult, young, young adult we work with, we have questions, just like any human being does. 
And so we can't provide prepackaged answers, which leave a young person feeling dejected, feeling rejected, and feeling ignored. The other thing we have to realize in this is that our young adults are, off, are just as qualified, and quite frankly, sometimes even more, to lead and serve in the church as its older members. Young people have energy, vision, unique and contemporary skills, and more that they want to direct to the church. This is why so many young people, young adults, have blogs or vlogs or are heavily engaged in social media, sports, social groups, etc. This excitement and ability should have a home in the church. Another thing that Pope Francis points to directly in Christus Vivit is the reality that service, that Christian service, is something that young adults, uh, Generation uh, X and Millennials, tend to have a great energy for. Service isn't just a is not only a concrete way to bring the gospel faith to life, but also helps to welcome in those who are not yet in intimate communion with Jesus in the church. Our director of campus ministry at Catholic U talks about this, how for many, service is the door that gets cracked open that they walk through and that helps to lead them to a deeper encounter with the Lord through the liturgy, through small groups, through personal and communal prayer. In paragraph 173, Pope Francis says, young people face immense and difficult challenges. With faith in the risen Lord, they can, they can confront with creativity and hope ever ready to be of service, like the servants at the wedding feast who unknowingly cooperated in Jesus's first miracle. We also have to realize that young people, young adults are engaged in the world in ways that older generations just sometimes aren't. We do a proper service to the church and to the world when we minister to and with young adults, not to say that we did it just to check off a box, but to help to form them into the missionary disciples that they are called to be, ready to bring the gospel into the world. For example, young people, young adults, should have a place in every aspect of the church, from liturgical ministries to pastoral councils, when that participation is well discerned, and beyond into every aspect of how our parishes, our apostolates, our groups function. It's in these ways that the voices of young people can not only be heard, but heard in a legitimate way. And this can be really tough, especially when those who minister in our parishes or our groups have been doing so for years or even decades. But it's a process of creating intergenerational relationships and opportunities for both young and old to learn from one another. We also know that young people... Uh, Young people are connected to community and seek and desire community. Young people can't draw in on themselves when faced with trials, uh, the trials that face them. Pope Francis says, at times, seeing a world so full of violence and selfishness, young people can, can be tempted to withdraw into small groups, shunning the challenges and issues posed by life in society and in the larger world. He also says we can't ignore that the lay vocation is directed above all to charity within the family and to social and political charity, right? The, the Second Vatican Council articulated well that the Christian vocation is one in service to both church and world. So informing our young people and working with young adults, we form them for both service to church and to, and to the world around us. Young people are exhorted by Pope Francis to social friendship, to small community, etc., and they, search, and they search this out. We know that. We have to allow for opportunities for young adults to find and form small faith communities. One of the best things, in my opinion, that the Archdiocese of Washington has done in the last few years is creating a network of small uh, young adult, small faith communities. Um, last time I heard they had over 60 throughout the Archdiocese where young adults were meeting and gathering together in faith sharing, in communion with one another. Because it's in these authentic environments that real life can be shared, that the different experiences of young adults in all of their varied complexities can be shared. 
Pope Francis talks about young people with roots. This is beautiful in chapter six. He uses the analogy of trees, right? That after a storm, much like the one that passed through uh, your neck of the woods just uh, within the last 24 hours, that after the storm, some are left standing while others have fallen to the ground and broken. Why? Because these fallen trees lack substantial roots. In the same way, he encourages young people to be firmly rooted. He says it's easy to drift off when there is nothing to clutch on to, to hold on to. And so it's important for young adults to have the opportunity to engage in intergenerational relationships. But this requires that both the young and the old are open to the movement of the spirit within one another. No young person should be dismissed because of their age, and no older person should be dismissed because they're too old. And this requires great humility on both sides. Pope Francis says in, uh, in paragraph 190, he quotes uh, St. Basil the Great. He said, this does not mean having to agree with everything adults say or approving all their actions. A young person should always have a critical spirit. St. Basil the Great encouraged the young to esteem the classical Greek authors, but to accept only whatever good they could teach. It's really a matter of being open to receiving a wisdom passed down from generation to generation, a wisdom familiar with human weakness and not deserving to vanish before the novelties of consumer society and the market. He goes on to say in the next paragraph, when intergenerational relationships exist, a collective memory is present in communities. As each genera generation takes up the teachings of its predecessors and in turn bequeaths a legacy to its successors. You know, he, um, the, the Synod used this language that came from, um, from one of the, the young auditors from the Pacific Islands, this language of, of a canoe. And that the young sit in the canoe and they are the ones that row. And the, the elderly, which is the term that Pope Francis uses, the older members of the community, they sit and read the stars, they guide the canoe. Neither one, if they're absent from that, from that action, uh, if, if one of those parties is absent from the action, the action doesn't succeed. But together, in using the gifts and talents and experiences that they have, they're able to guide this boat in the right direction. When our young and our old are in relationship with one another, honest, true, Christocentric relationships, then they can begin to take risks together. He says in 199, if we journey together, young and old, we can be firmly rooted in the present. And from here, revisit the past and look to the future. To revisit the past in order to learn from history and heal, our, heal old wounds that at times still trouble us. To look to the future in order to nourish our enthusiasm, cause dreams to emerge, awaken prophecies and enable hope to blossom. Together, we can learn from one another warm hearts, inspire minds with the light of the gospel, and lend new strength to our hands. You know, this journeying together that the Holy Father speaks of, it's not just or intergenerational journeying together, it's also an intercultural gener uh, uh, journeying together, um, which I know um, Brother had talked about the, the, the trials that he's experienced. We have a tendency, as, as uh, my colleague, Dr. Susan Timoney says, uh, to form communities of communities, when in reality, we would like, and the Lord calls us to, to, to a communion of persons together, the body of Christ, each one having their specific role, but together forming the mystical body. And so we bring this together um, through patience, certainly, um, and through opportunity to listen to the stories and the experiences of those other cultural families to understand the differences and the similarities and how we can work together to form this mystical body of Christ. Colleen used the phrase ministry to and with young adults right at the end of her portion. And that is so key to how we approach young adult ministry in the United States and the vision of Pope Francis. He's very blunt to start chapter seven. He's very blunt throughout this entire document. But to start chapter seven, he says, young people frequently fail to find in our usual programs a response to their concerns, their needs, their problems and issues. And that should make us pause 
Because if the events we are putting on aren't meeting the needs of those whom we serve, then we need to rethink what we're doing. The realization that the entire community has to be involved in evangelizing young adults, young people, and the urgent requirement that young people take on a greater role in pastoral outreach. That's kind of the two-edged sword of this. We can no longer just create programs and events or even pastoral plans which see young adults as only the recipients of our ministry, but to develop ministry which welcomes young adults into the heart of that ministry welcoming them into a process of what in the Palatine spirituality we call collaboration from the beginning. Not just collaboration that gives people a task, but inviting young people, inviting every person, every demographic, every culture and race, every age to sit at the table to help build from the beginning and to move forward in that. To engage in ministry that is both to and with requires our ministry to be synodal. Pope Francis says in 206, it, sh it should involve a journeying together that values the charisms that the spirit bestows in accordance with the vocation and role of each of the church's members. Through a process of co-responsibility motivated by the spirit, we can move towards a participatory and co-responsible church. One capable of appreciating its own rich variety, gratefully accepting the contributions of the lay faithful, including young people. And these are the themes we hear in, in the synod that just started uh, last weekend, right? This idea of co-responsibility, participation, mission. So we have to engage in a process of listening and mutual understanding. In this listening, we can hear the cry of young adults to hear what they want, what will work for them, and what they will be open to. It's this synodality which marks the church's direction in the 21st century, a return to the function of the early church, all in the vision of the Second Vatican Council's ecclesiology of communion. Pope Francis says, we have to be open to flexibility, which invites young adults, not only for events, but for conversing, celebrating, singing, listening to real stories and experiencing a shared encounter with the living God. He talks about outreach and growth. He says, we have, to be, we have to commit to outreach, which trusts that those young adults who we minister to know how best to find appealing ways to come together. And how often does a group of 50 plus people talk about what young adults should believe, what they should experience, how they're wrong, how they should act? But we can't properly minister to and with young adults until we're open to hearing them. It's through this protagonism that young adults can become energized to become protagonists of evangelization. We have to remember that young adults, millennials, and Gen Z can't be preached at, moralized, and commanded, not if we want to be met by hearts which are open. Again, we have to meet them where they're at. Growth requires us to provide opportunities for formation. In 213, Pope Francis says we must create opportunities for young adults to proclaim the kerygma, the foundational experience of encounter with God through Christ's death and resurrection. We also have to provide opportunities for young adults to grow in community, service, and fraternity. What are the ways young people want to gather in community? How do they want to serve others? How can they grow in fraternity and charity? To answer these questions, we have to listen to the hopes of young people themselves. This ministry, too, recognizes the role of the lay ecclesial minister, the volunteer, the coordinator, the one who is commissioned by the church to serve these young adults in this specific ministry. It allows for experience and knowledge to be used for the building up of the kingdom. Ministry with young adults also forces us outside ourselves to humility, to hear the voices of those whom we serve and to allow for the young adults we serve to engage in the co-responsibility, which is essential to the apostolic vocation of every baptized person. We're called to a culture of accompaniment. Uh, at a conference that I was at two years ago, pre-COVID, back when we had conferences, and Mark might have been there, um, at Steubenville, um, a, a youth minister 
um, stood up, a youth and young adult minister stood up. I think he was from Cincinnati. And he said this line, which has stuck with me forever and will stick with me forever. They don't care what we know until they know that we care. And that's really powerful. How can we assist our young adults into intergenerational relationships, engage in ministry with young adults, and help young people grow as protagonists? Well, we can work to found a culture of accompaniment within our faith communities so that they know that we care. To accompany is to walk with, like Jesus on the road to Emmaus, who physically walked with his disciples, listened to them patiently, taught them, and broke bread with them. It's in this walking with that the disciples came to recognize Jesus as Jesus, to which they responded by returning to Jerusalem. I'll quote the two authors here uh, with us in the Zoom call from The Art of Accompaniment that Tom and Colleen themselves wrote. Accompaniment is a broad term that refers to a relationship between two or more people who share mutuality and reciprocity in the spiritual life. In other words, one who accompanies is a steadfast spiritual friend ready to support, encourage, and listen to the other in all circumstances. And if you like that, you can go to our website and purchase the book and read the entire thing. Uh, I'm sure they'd be happy to sign a copy for you as well. See there, Colleen has a copy with her. Accompaniment is marked, among other things, by patient listening, humility, reciprocity, and a willingness to see the other person as holy ground. So good pastoral listening models Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He listens until the disciples have no more to say. We listen to take in and not just to respond. We remove our sandals figuratively in front of the other person's holy ground. We treat them with reverence. We take on what I call, and I think this is my term, I should probably coin it, or, or trademark it, a hermeneutic of charity, a way of interpreting that is, that is built upon charity, meaning we suspend all cynicism or skepticism and take on a way of interpreting of charity, which puts aside our preconceived notions and our biases. It's intentional and reciprocal, regardless of one's role or formation. Each person can learn and grow in relationships of accompaniment. We have to recognize that every individual person whom we encounter has a story, written and ordained by God which is different and unique. Like Colleen said, young adults are single and married, working in between jobs, military and civilian, caring for children and not, recently moved and having lived in the same place for their entire lives, et cetera, et cetera. And we can't properly care for young adults if we are ignorant of these realities. Not only do we have to realize that in the, that in the broad, but we have to internalize that and act upon it. Ministers should take, take the time to identify and introduce themselves to the young adults in their communities. It's in these encounters we can listen and get to know the young adults who we serve. But be prepared to meet off hours for early coffee, lunch, dinner, drinks, etc. You have to be ready to meet them where they are, quite literally, even if it puts you out of your comfort zone. But we cannot lounge in our comfort knowing that we ourselves have done the ministry, that we have accompanied. The number of lay ecclesial ministers in the United States in 2014, according to a CARA study, was just under, under 40,000. Out of the millions of people who go to Mass every Sunday and the even more hundreds of millions, now we only have a certain level of population, the tens, hundreds of millions of people who at one point in their lives identified as Catholic which is, there it is, over 140 million, only less than 40,000 were lay ecclesial ministers. So it cannot just be for the ministers to do this, to accompany. Accompaniment is an apostolate in that it is an action of all of the baptized and does not require the blessing of the institutional church to do so. To build a culture of, a culture of accompaniment means to welcome and form all the members of the community of faith in the apostolate of accompaniment. Communities need to recognize the community as a community. So we have to understand what people are searching for in a parish community. Quite honestly, is, is, are they looking for a true community built on reciprocal relationships rooted in the Eucharist? 
Or is a parish simply a place to receive the Eucharist, to go on Sundays, to get the Eucharist, and to go back next Sunday? People are different. Those who are seeking authentic community and relationship should be welcomed into formation to a company, to assist in the ministry, to assist in the apostolate. And so, friends, when we help to form young and old of all cultures, sexes, and races to listen to one another, to enter into each other's lives, and to accompany one another, we move to a church that is more collaborative, co-responsible, mission-driven, and relational, and one that welcomes and forms young adults as disciples and as our brothers and sisters. And now I'll pass the torch to Tom to finish up our presentation for tonight. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thank you. That was wonderful. Um, so Colleen and Brian have really given us some really good background um, and some really good, uh, it's, it's more than theory, just a, an idea of what ministry should look like to young adults. I want to talk about some specific keys to building healthy, holy, and sustainable young adult ministry in our communities. Um, a lot of this comes from my some of my experience, um, but some of this also comes from Best practices, as I've heard it other places, best practices is given to us from Pope Francis, things like that. So um, when it comes to young adult ministry, we often hear about young adult ministries uh, falling apart, right? Disintegrating. It's kind of common. Um, and sometimes they fall apart because a beloved leader has moved on um, just because young adulthood is such a time of change, as Colleen has said. Uh, earlier. It's it's common to see a group experience growth and then attrition in, in waves, you know, this coming and going of, of good leaders and people follow that leader and then it kind of falls apart because the person moves to Kansas City from Austin or something like that, right? Um, this is just, this is just common. So I want to talk about some things to keep in mind as we work to build robust, sustainable ministries to young adults in our communities. First, I want to say that we should be aiming to build uh, or to establish healthy and fruitful leadership. By this, when I say healthy, I mean our young adult communities should be properly oriented toward Christ. Um, and when I say fruitful, I mean it should multiply. This group should grow, right? Ministry to young people should incorporate two main courses of action to be healthy and fruitful. And I'm taking these from Pope Francis. The first is, and Brian said this earlier, and I'm just going to draw out the points a little bit. The first is outreach, which has to do with the way that we attract friends and peers to the Lord. And the second is growth, which relates to the ways we keep the flame of faith alive in those young people who have experienced God's love already and who seek to know him more deeply. So let's talk about outreach briefly. Outreach raises up and encourages new, diverse leaders. Pope Francis frames this idea of outreach in a young adult group um, with specific enculturated missionary activity. Young people, he says, are the agents of missionary discipleship who speak the language of closeness, the language of generous, relational, and existential love that touches the heart, impacts life, and awakens hope and desires. That's from Christus Vivit, uh, paragraph 211. Young people who invite their peers to hear the gospel, who speak to commonly held experiences with what Pope Francis calls, and I love this, he says, the grammar of love. It's just a way of speaking, right? It can't really be sure there's rules to it. You can define it, but it's just sort of in the way that people speak to each other, sharing the gospel this way. And also, not just by speaking a certain way, but by demonstrating lives full of integrity for the faith. And this is, this is a brief view of the vision of outreach Pope Francis paints for a vibrant ministry to young people. It should, it should go out. It should go get people, and it should, share, um, it should share a message. Outreach shouldn't be limited to a specific group because the church isn't limited to a specific group, right? It's multifaceted. It's a multifaceted jewel and it's beautiful. And every member shines forth a unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when we draw together in relationship, that's revealed, it reveals a beautiful unity, which is 
foundational of our church. No one should be excluded from these groups. And that unfortunately is all too common, right? These groups can get kind of get clicky and that begins the disintegration. Diversity prevents disintegration. Single, married, multicultural, etc. The ministry should reflect the community in which it resides. I think that's really important. The ministry should reflect the community where it is. I was at a parish in Austin that was um, 70%, 60%, 70% Spanish speaking. And the rest was English speaking. And our young adult ministry, no matter how hard we tried, uh, did not look like our parish for a lot of different reasons. Um, and I think that's part of the reason it, for the time being, did not succeed. So it, it wasn't very successful. When we bring a multicultural, in all senses of the phrase, community together that possesses a variety of spiritual gifts, people find their place, they feel at home, and we begin to build an icon, an image of the universal church at our local parish, in our local community. This isn't easy to accomplish. I think specifically of a time when um, the Spanish-speaking young adult group tried to get uh, some community together at Las Posadas, the Las Posadas event at our parish. And uh, my wife and I were the only ones who showed up. And it was like, why? <laughs> right? We had that question, why is this happening? Um, and I think with some reflection, I would say that it's important to encourage your leaders, those people who you've, who you've identified as leaders, to bridge that gap, to set that example. And, and as Brian said, when, when people get to know those leaders, and when leaders get to know um, those young adults in the community, that does that does way more for connection than uh, than what we know. So that's that's outreach. And briefly, I want to talk about growth, the second sort of action that Pope Francis talks about. Growth is uh, we want to be focused on robust individual formation. So there are, you know, comprehensive faith formation lessons on Christian morality and all sorts of Christian doctrine, which are very important for being a well-formed Catholic, a well-formed person. But uh, it's really important to keep in mind that, and Pope Francis reminds us of this, young adult leaders uh, should help their peers grow in understanding what Christ means for their life. Their faith finds its source in the charisma and communal formation. Pope Francis says, as a result of these classes, these doctrinal classes, many young people get bored and they lose the fire of their encounter with Christ and the joy of following him. Many give up and others become downcast or negative. Rather than being too concerned with communicating a great deal of doctrine, let us first try to awaken and consolidate the great experiences that sustain the Christian life. So said another way, these growth initiatives should help young people reflect on their experiences of God in their life and help them recall those moments when Jesus has touched their hearts. I have a master's degree in theology, so I'm not against doctrine at all, of course, right? Like we need robust formation. Um, but I think it's valid to consider, should that be our first step in inviting people into our young adult communities? Um, how are we encouraging young adults to awaken this great experience of Jesus Christ in their lives? Um, and shouldn't that be our first step? Kind of a, yeah, it should. <laughs> I asked the question, right? But I think it should. If our young adult communities are only game nights and hiking trips and volunteer initiatives, which are all good, we're forming community, we're doing good things, but are we explicitly sharing the gospel? Are we raising up leaders who are also disciples? Sometimes I think that happens, you know, accidentally, but, um, but it can't simply be an accident to raise up disciples and to preach the gospel. We have to do that explicitly. So outreach and growth, those are two things to keep in mind, I think, that um, help to build a sustainable young adult ministry. Something else I want to talk briefly about is um, we have to make sure that we're, we're focusing on building Christ-centered ministries and not cults of personality. Uh, it's very easy to fall into a cult of personality in ministry, very easy. When a certain ministry becomes all about the leader of that ministry instead of the well-being of the group, or it becomes about... Um, yeah, just that person instead of the overall purpose of the ministry. This usually starts from a good place, right? People who 
lead these groups, like we want to look up to them. We admire them. Maybe they're a great Christian example. And that's fine. That's wonderful. Um, But I've heard many times, if we just get that new baby priest who's fresh out of seminary uh, to lead the young adult group, every young person will come to our theology on tap. They will be there, right? And that's just not always, that's just not always the case. Um, This comes, again, this comes from a good place, right? Put a good example in front of people and they will follow. And that's, that's true. But we can't expect one person to shoulder the burden of ministry to young people. And ministries that are influenced by a cult of personality can quickly descend into toxic or exclusive cultures. So from my time working in the parish, unfortunately, I saw this firsthand. Uh, Our pastor was reassigned um, to be the vicar general of the diocese, which was wonderful. Uh, He he is an excellent manager and um, uses his gifts to serve the church in that specific way. But that he had done his ministry in such a way, and I love him dearly, and this is not, I'm not (laughs) condemning or anything like that, but uh, there were parts of his ministry that were done in such a way where I think a cult of personality was created. And when the new pastor came in, um, the people turned on him. And that new pastor's only crime was that his leadership style was different, right? So this is a really important question that we should reflect upon for our communities. How can we build sustainable communities that are inoculated against cult of personalities? One way, I think, is by putting Christ at the center, by incorporating the charisma into each and every event somehow, into every gathering and every prayer meeting some way, that Jesus Christ died for you, he gave his life to save you because he loves you, and now he lives by your side every day, right? That's the charisma in a nutshell. How do we wrap that into everything that we do? How do we inspire the young people in our communities to know that Jesus loves them uh, in a very concrete way? Help them to develop their testimony. What has God done for them in their life, right? Have, have moments of reflection like that, um, that that are impactful on their spiritual lives. And Colleen and Brian and I are, ha- are happy to help with this in any way, if Mark or if you, you know, you decide, hey, we want to, we want to, we want people to start writing testimonies. Like the Catholic Apostle Center is happy to help in any way with this. Another way to avoid a culture personality is to establish a, div- a diverse group of leaders who coordinate these outreach and growth initiatives. Give your young adult community many witnesses, many leaders, and many role models instead of just one, in addition to Jesus, of course. So uh, sustainable and practical as well. Let's talk about that. I think I have a slide for that. Yeah, sustainable and adaptive, sorry. Practically speaking, what we said here today is that young adult is an extremely transient time of life. And as young adults follow their dreams and forge their own paths, they move between parishes, cities, and countries following wherever the spirit of God calls them. And one thing uh, we can do to keep young adult ministry sustainable and adaptive in our communities is to grow relationships of accompaniment. Brian mentioned this, um, but relationships of accompaniment that build up new leaders have to be present in order for ministry to remain in our communities. We have to raise up leaders, mentor leaders, who are protagonists. Brian mentioned this, people who take initiative in their spiritual and communal lives. Colleen and I wrote in our, um, in our work, Art of Accompaniment, the protagonist is firstly the one who seeks to draw closer into relationship with Christ. They also seek integration of their life, transformation, and holistic growth and holiness, especially in the guidance and wisdom of others in the church. So even though these individuals might not know it all, uh, they, d- d- you should discern whether God is calling these people in your communities into a position of collaborative leadership. Don't only discern this in your prayer, but ask them, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? Um, I think God might be calling you. I might be calling you (laughs) to this leadership position, right? And we've heard it said, uh, it's one of those quips, right? God qualifies the called. Um, So don't worry if they don't have all of the, they don't have the pedigree. Um, You'll know who these leaders are. They, They love Jesus Christ. They love their communities and they, they move forward. They go get it right? They're, they're go-getters. Another key to creating sustainable and adaptive young adult ministries is 
to raise up leaders, um, but also to just have a, a cultural understanding of the gradual nature of accompaniment. Accompaniment is slow, right? Brian said patient listening. Jesus walked with his disciples all the way on the road to Emmaus, right? Like miles and miles and miles. It wasn't convenient. We have to remember that God works gradually across salvation history, thousands and thousands of years. Humanity slowly begins to understand the concept of God's covenant, right? From Adam to Moses, to the prophets, to Mary, to Jesus on the cross. God's plan of salvation was slowly revealed in chunks. This in theology and ministry is called the pedagogy of God. It's God's style of teaching, of revealing himself. And it's a good image for our ministry too. We should work gradually, understanding that there will be highs and lows, successes and failures, and understanding that building robust relationships take, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time for young people to trust. And it takes a lot of time to build communities that, um, that grow. Uh, as we as we hope that our young adult communities do. Patience, prayer, and faith should be our guiding attitudes as we work with our young adult communities. So those are just a few things um, I wanted to bring to this conversation, a few principles to avoid this disintegration that is so common to young adult ministry, right? Avoid that cult of personality, embrace accompaniment, um, and, and look for outreach and growth opportunities. Thank you.